Imagine this. You're trying to book a COVID-19 vaccination appointment. You have to navigate the county public health department's website that was last updated in, wait for it, 1999. You're trying to figure out what appointments are available, but before that, you have to fill out a long questionnaire asking if you have pre-existing conditions, any cold symptoms in the last couple days. You're trying to figure out what medications you've been on while also trying to figure out exactly where these locations are. Now think about having to do that in a language you don't even speak. And there's no English translation available anywhere. This sounds like an impossible situation, but this has been the reality for many immigrants in this country. The Laotian American community in California, however, has figured out a way to rally and help its most vulnerable members by using the telephone. I'm Tracy Brown, in for Gustavo Arellano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Today is June 4th, 2021. The Department of Justice is investigating the Postmaster General for potentially violating campaign contribution laws. The White House says it will send out 25 million doses of COVID vaccines overseas to help increase the global vaccination rate. And the Avengers Campus is now open at Disney California Adventure. So keep your eyes out for Spider-Man. On today's show, we talk to Times reporter Ann Doe, who brings us a story from the Laotian-American community and how they've been able to bridge a language gap left by the government. Asian-Americans are one of the fastest-growing groups in the U.S. Experts project the population to more than double by 2060, while research shows that as a whole, Asian Americans do well economically and educationally, those stats obscure the fact that 23 million Asian Americans here come from vastly different social and economic backgrounds. There are still wide income and resource disparities among Southeast Asians, including in the roughly 10,000 Laotian Americans in the Bay Area. And the assumption that all Asians are well off leaves many others lacking crucial social services. For more, we turn to Ann Doe, who covers the Asian American and Pacific Islander community for The Times. Hi, Ann. Hi, Tracy. And hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being here. So in early May, you traveled up to the East Bay to report on the Laotian American community and this phone system they've used to inform each other during the COVID-19 pandemic. Can you take us to the scene? Yes. I am at Wat Lao Ratanaram, the biggest Laotian Buddhist temple in the Bay Area, and you enter the ornate red and gold flecked doors and you see a long room full of cushions, beautiful carpeting, painted walls, Buddhist symbols, and you start to hear chanting. Because in the week, they've held a cleansing ceremony to bring blessings to different families. And today, we're celebrating Visak Day, the Buddha's birth and rebirth. And it's a fascinating gathering of all sorts of ages, men, women, and their children. Some people have traveled all across the Bay Area to Richmond, and they are 
observing the day with three generations of family members. Why is this temple important to the Laotian American community? Because more than just a place for religious gathering, it's like a community center where different things in life happen. Because there's no such center for the community, they come not only to get spiritual guidance from their religious leaders, but to create a home away from home as well as a home away from the homeland. I really liked spending time at the temple because not only is it a religious sanctuary, it's also a help center, especially for the elderly who can't speak English. They trust the monks. The monks, in some way, are the messengers. And the head monk told me that the reason they all got vaccinated right at the beginning is they want to be strong examples to their fellow community members. And hey, we're still here. Nothing bad happened to us. We're healthy. And look at us and follow suit. Actually, the monks take turns answering their phones and responding to community requests, whatever they might be. They also have this closet where they store a bunch of brand new robes. And right during the start of the pandemic, there was an urgent need for masks and they donated the robes and local volunteers joined the auntie and uncle sewing squad, a group that started in Los Angeles. And all the masks that were made were shipped or dropped off at the temple and it became a distribution center for PPE. How cool is that? We'll be back after this break. So Anne, this temple really has become like the center for many Laotian Americans, especially for those who don't speak English. What happened when COVID hit? Well, the state lockdown in March of 2020 caught everyone off guard, especially for the linguistically isolated elderly Laotians. They are still using flip phones and they had no way of accessing information. Luckily, a phone tree had established decades ago, right after the resettlement of the Laotian in America, and they turned to this communications ecosystem to stay in touch with one another. At its core is a series of chairpersons. When some crisis happens, an elderly person would call their chairperson, who then turns to his two or three assistants, and then they pass along the information to a network of community leaders who then call the 10 or 12 families assigned to them. And in that way, everyone can know what is immediately happening, what needs to be done, by what time. And then if they need help, they coordinate that kind of help to go live to the elderly person in need. 
Pre-pandemic, the phone tree was vibrant and very much an essential resource. People used it to register one another for voting and to participate in the last presidential election. They also depended on it in case there was a medical emergency or someone in their family passed away. They have to organize a funeral, but they don't have the resources, the time, or the manpower. You just spread that crisis through the phone tree and immediately your fellow Laotians step up to volunteer and to fundraise for these earth-shattering moments. At this temple in Richmond, Kamani Matavongsi, one of the temple leaders, is an example of someone who's really active in the phone tree. I think the phone tree has been effective in crisis time. Our population is too small. And sometimes it could be we were like being overlooked. And again, we don't have strong political power. You know, we are not that organized compared to a larger community like, you know, our East Asian, right? Even compared to our Vietnamese brother, right, <laughs> who are also refugees. But we do have unique needs. I would say, especially among our elders, 75 to 80 percent, they don't speak English. And he's been great at helping to direct people. Kamini says that he will answer the phone. A community member typically will call and have questions about an English language document that they might need translated. Kamini usually will ask them to take a picture of the document and text it to him. And he once again lets them know somebody will definitely look at this, translate this, and we'll get back to you. So during COVID time, the phone system came in handy because they could call each other to find out how to get masks, what are some of the other PPE rules or concerns that they have to be aware of, In the early days, people were freaking out because they didn't understand why they needed to stay home. The lockdown orders, they had never heard of it. And they still needed to go to the doctor or to refill medication or to buy staples at the supermarket. But they tapped on the phone tree to coordinate volunteers to help get all of these urgent needs met. And, you know, one of the Laotian staple is sticky rice. People eat that every day and there was a huge shortage. So they let each other know, like, where do I find this to feed my family? And food banks were already giving out food like canned beans, canned corn, pasta. But you know what? The folks in this community, those are not the regular things that they eat they really rely on sticky rice. And this is how the communications ecosystem stepped up to meet their culinary needs. And Kamini says the phone tree has also been really important to combat misinformation. 
a lot of folks again they have limited English proficiency, so the way that they consume the news is from word of mouth. So once they receive that false, you know, misinformation, it spread <laughs> really fast. I think for us here is trying to work with our county public health, our county board of supervisor to try to get correct information out there, and we do our best to also do translation. Of the document to make sure that that is also available in Lao. People use the phone tree to call each other to once again reassure them, "Hey, everything is okay. This has been tested, and the scientists have cleared it." What is it about the phone tree system that makes it unique to the Laotian American community? Yeah, so the phone tree that they have here is a sort of modern version of how they communicate from one village to another in the homeland. At home, you know, people lived in one village after another, and there was no phone and there was no internet, so they would organize to speak to each other and say, "Here's a farm that needs help. Can we all go up there on the same day to help with labor?" Coming to America. There was no way to stay in touch, and so they set up the phone tree as one of the most effective ways that people can talk to each other. At the same time, give the elderly access to anything that's happening in terms of crisis. We'll be back after this break. So, Anne, you walked us through how this phone system works and um, how it's been important to the Laotian American community. But I want to take a step back and talk about the community itself. There's about a quarter million Laotian Americans in the U.S., and I understand most of them live in California. How long have Laotian immigrants been in the U.S. and why California? The community resettled in the U.S. at the end of the Vietnam War. This is the battlefield in Laos. Here is a country larger than Great Britain, with a population of less than three million people. So what happened was there was a secret war, in which the U.S. military fought communist forces in Laos, while waging parallel battles in Vietnam. These are government troops supported and financed by the United States, fighting and losing ground to communist troops, many of them from North Vietnam. After the communist victory in 1975, Laotians who opposed them fled to America. But before they could finally arrive in the U.S., they were resettled in refugee camps. Some in Malaysia, some in the Philippines. The most tragic victims of the seesaw, not so secret war in Laos are the refugees. The official estimate is that about one out of every four Laos has been a refugee. More than 600,000 of them. Some have been refugees more than once. And when they came to America, finally, many of them resettled in the Bay Area or other cities around California. Other states that have significant populations include Minnesota and Texas. And within the the broader Asian American community, there's been a real effort to push back against the model minority myth 
which is basically this idea that Asian Americans are all well off and they're highly educated. But that's not actually the case, right? Right. And I really appreciate you mentioning that because this particular community, according to Pew Research, is one of the lowest income and isolated. When we have been talking about linguistic isolation, it's absolutely true because the community is so small that they cannot support any media in the Laotian language. And without a newspaper, without a television station in the United States, the numbers, the force of the Laotian community, it's not a political force. And so they don't have materials translated in their own language, like at the DMV or to vote or educational stuff that is distributed in the schools. We met with Fumi Sayavong, a college research analyst working in Berkeley, and he talked a lot about the struggles of the Laotian community, how a number of his fellow countrymen work in hospitality or restaurant industries and have lost their jobs during the pandemic. In my parents' generation, because they come from a very low-skilled, low, skilled, low um, levels of education from their background, most were farmers, most were like minor uh, merchants and, and others were just soldiers. So coming here, there's very little education and very little skills to, to begin with. So my dad, for example, um, he was just a line cook at a restaurant mm-hmm. and my mom was a housekeeper. Even until today, there are many who are still extremely low income and continue to be unemployed. So looking out for the community, that's always in the back of our mind. Fumi also told us about how they're not really accepted by other Asian Americans. From my standpoint, for the AAPI community, every time they talk about and explain the complexity and the diversity of, of the Asian American population, they always include the backgrounds of Cambodians and other Southeast Asians, Thai, Burmese, Myanmar, Laotians, Hmong, and, and others. So the data is there, but it gets overlooked, not intentionally, I don't think. It's mainly because those from the East Asian cultures are not very familiar with Southeast Asians. We're fairly new, and there's not that many of us. And so to have that context with, say, a Lao person may be kind of rare for people of a Chinese background, Japanese, uh, Indian. So in a way, it's understandable. So it gets overlooked for that reason. But I think for the fight of Asian American recognition is a good one because then along the way, we can then join that conversation and say that, look, the reason why we need support, we need attention, we need political clout is because of this. Focus on Vietnamese, focus on Laotians, focus on Cambodians. What do you think we can learn from the Laotian American phone tree? I think we can learn how to connect to one another better and in a more intimate, conversational way. We live in a society that relies on texting and social media platforms. And many of these folks, they just rely on storytelling and intimate conversation. One of the fascinating things is that health departments in different places in California are actually thinking about participating in a new six-month initiative called Alone at Home, where they could 
contract with up to 130 ethnic media companies. And these ethnic media organizations that are specifically linked to different communities and cultures would create their own mini versions of phone trees and they would help form connections and stay informed, helping the elderly in different groups and subgroups survive, thrive beyond the pandemic. Thanks, Anne, for coming onto the show today. I really appreciate everyone's attention and please stay with our podcast. We love having you in the audience. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Stephen Cuevas, and Denise Guerra. Our executive producer is Abby Fentress Swanson. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. And our theme music is by Andrew Eben. Our editors are Julia Turner and Shawnee Hilton. I'm Tracy Brown. Gustavo will be back Monday with all the news you need and more. And P.S., please check out the other LA Times podcast I co-host. It's called Asian Enough, and it's a podcast about being Asian American, the joys, the complication, and everything in between. On this week's episode, we talked to Laotian-American drag queen, Jujubee, about finding freedom through drag, fighting the patriarchy in queer spaces, and repping her culture in drag race. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks. <laughs>